Welcome back to the ATP Podcast. I'm Brian Clark. This week, our attention turns to the U.S. hardcourt season for the start of what should be seven weeks of captivating tennis. And to mark the occasion, we're going to focus on some of the brightest American prospects in the game today, most of whom have been in action this week in Atlanta. Shortly, we'll hear from players Jensen Brooksby and Marcus Guirome. The coaches of Sebastian Corda and Tommy Paul also join us. And we'll get the lowdown on Francis Tiafo from his friend and sometime doubles partner, Nick Monroe. But one man who already has a Masters 1000 title under his belt this season, as well as another title in Eastbourne and a run to the Wimbledon quarterfinals, which helped push him to the verge of the top 10, is Taylor Fritz. Candy Reed caught up with a member of his coaching team, Michael Russell. It's managing the ups and downs, not getting too high, not getting too low. I mean, Taylor won Indian Wells, which was incredible the way he played so well. And, and it's understanding that this is your level, that you do belong in, in mm -hmm. a top 10 player and, and you can be there and you can compete for Grand Slam titles. And at the same time, not get complacent and expect yourself to play at this level all the time. It's the hard work the perseverance that you have to put in day in and day out to get to that level. And, you know, as you see it, you can have injuries. We've had an injury through the clay court season where he had to take time off, didn't play a lot, uh, struggled a little bit um, just to get some matches back. Mm. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's just you can't get complacent because everybody is so hungry in this sport. He is such a natural athlete, or that that's what appears to me. And obviously his physical size gives him a big advantage. Was he... Or did he have the work ethic that you did? I mean, Taylor is an unbelievable ball striker. His hand-eye coordination is incredible. I mean, just the way he's able to pick up balls and, and reflex and then also, you know, generate power. You know, he can literally, one of the players that can take the racket out of your hand. And so I think that's one of the things that I help bring beside analyzing and, and, and focusing on his game, but the physical side. You know, really focusing a little more on the on the mm -hmm. physicality of things because even as talented as Taylor is, you still have to be physical on the court. And so if we can just increase by 1% his reaction time, his explosiveness, his stamina, you know, that just gives us bounds of confidence to him and realizes that he can play deep in the Grand Slams, play 3 out of 5. And so it's just that 1% just, you know, exponentially increases physically you and him are very different is that fair to say of course um so how do you help him and how does he i suppose help you in reverse well it's also knowing the player you know just like one size fits all obviously if when i'm doing fitness and i'm looking at the way i played it's you know it's apples and oranges the way taylor plays so it's it's tailoring his fitness and along with his physio um to the way he plays and what he needs to say stay one injury free which is most important, mm -hmm. and then slowly creating more explosiveness, quicker reaction time, you know, all things that can help his game be a little more powerful, a little more explosive, get him reacting quicker to the net um, mm -hmm. to get to where he wants to be. Has it been quite a steep learning curve for you given the way that you played? As I remember, you were a baseliner, more of a counterpuncher, somebody that would try and absorb pace and give it back as opposed to him who's got those long levers and create can create a lot of power not so much just because i mean i've been coaching now for seven years and professionally and i've worked with quite a few different game styles so and that's one of the things you have to adapt to the way that different players play and understand that every player has their own skill set you know and so it's 
knowing that and then just making sure that you're not only working on making his strengths stronger, but then also making his weaknesses better as well. And Taylor Fritz is in the field at the City Open in Washington this week, where as a number three seed, he receives a bye in the first round. Another man with a winning feeling under his belt is the Atlanta finalist, Jensen Brooksby. It was Brooksby's second ATP Tour final of the season, and he's been guided all the way by his longtime coach, Joseph Gilbert. He spoke with our Jill Kravis. Jensen and I, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it, his competitiveness is um, fueled between the both of us you know we're okay. both extremely competitive uh, uh being together for 13 years traveling uh, uh with tournaments his parents um are competitive uh uh just a competitor it's in competitive. the blood yeah it's in the blood <laughs> since a young age he was always a competitive and then mixed with me on the court every day for that many years and and my demeanor and my outlook on on who he can beat and and when he should be winning and when he shouldn't be losing or uh when giving him his expectations basically and so and 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 if i set the expectations he's been able to um find a way to get there so what are some of those expectations you set for him that you felt um, like he's capitalized you know, on it's funny it's never it's never like a ranking or a, a goal or we want to be here, we want to be there. It's basically I look at the matches and when he plays them, afterwards I was like, whether I believe he should win them or not. And, and he comes off the court and I was like, when he lost him, like you should have won that. And, and this is how you could have won that. And explaining it to him, going back to video and showing him like piece by piece, this is where you made the mistake, this is where you could have fixed this, this is where you fixed that. That makes it very edgy you know uh, uh, all the time you know because the uh, he feels like i think he should never lose <laughs> so so that's a little tough and it's not that i think that i just think there's always things he could have done right. to win and so uh so that competitive nature between both of us is why it's edgy out there all the time and he shows his emotions out there he he brings them towards me quite a bit um uh, but in a positive way and in a frustrated way and i'm I'm comfortable with it because uh, I'm that way also. And I think that's the big advantage we have with being together for 13 years. You know, uh, we're comfortable being uncomfortable. Has he, how is he, I mean, I feel like he's accepting it very well, but you have the biggest insight into that and how he's feeling all of a sudden with more attention on him. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the tour, right? I feel like, I feel like, uh, uh, I feel like that's a lot of this out here is is being able to deal with the pressure and and the expectations. and, And that's where you see the stress on a lot of these players and you see the edginess because that's sports, right? Like, like once you, it's very much like, what have you done? lately yeah. you win, it's like okay can you win again <laughs> it's like, yeah. and, and that's sports and that's the pressure of it and uh, that doesn't matter if it's basketball football tennis and and so it's a little tougher in tennis I feel like because you're on your own you know and, and you got to deal with that so I think the key is having a really good team and a team you trust and a team that blocks out distractions instead of adding distractions you know, he's such a good kid too. He's got a great heart. He loves the fans, and he doesn't want to ever not give an autograph. I noticed that. And he feels bad, and and I tell him I want to keep that. You know, because uh, uh, at the end of the day, the fans are what uh, we play for, and and what he loves, and and he definitely wears it out there. And he, I think, he got a lot of fans. 
One more thing that I'm curious about, because yep. you kept saying how you guys are so competitive with each other. I'm curious if that competitive translates outside the court, too, and in other sports, <laughs> other games, anything yeah. else? Anything. Anything. Uh, you the, play cards or anything? The banter, the cards, the arguments. <laughs> uh, 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 we can argue over anything. And we can, we can uh, uh, exhaust each other. Um, to a point of, of that we need breaks from each other in the hotel rooms. And, uh, so one that's of us important goes, too, yeah. Yeah, one yeah. of us goes downstairs and, 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 and sometimes we, we take breaks because, look, it's, it's, it's one, it's 13 years. Uh, we know each other in and out. We know the moods. We know when we need to focus. We know when we, we, we can mess around a little bit. I know when I can um, poke them. And, and, and get get a little bit of anger out of him. I know when I let it go and, and he just needs to, to take the, the moment off. And it's all of that, you know, and it's all very important because um, managing his emotions and, and mine too, because I, at least I'm older now. You know, he's been with me in my 20s, you know, and that was a very much more quick temperamental time uh, uh, because you're in your 20s. Right. Um, and, you know, I have a daughter now. Uh, that, that, that definitely added some patience. Um, and, and I think it's helped me as a coach understand these moments and times. And I still lose my marbles uh, from time to time, but it's more strategical rather than emotional. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's knowing when to push buttons. And he relies on me for that. Um, when I think he's being soft or when I think he's being too hard on himself or when I think he's being edgy or when I think he's um, uh, in the right focus. And uh, we pretty much talk after every practice and I, I let him know. I let him know and he trusts me to judge that and he trusts me to be honest with him. You know, and, and to be like, hey, that was, that was a bad practice and that was, that, we got to do better. Um, or like, hey, you're being too hard on yourself. Like, like you're too edgy. You're too mad after one missed shot. Or, uh, or that was a good practice, and that's what we're looking for, and we're we're ready to go. So the Sacramento native has many things he can call on to help him on the court. But what about off it? Hey guys, this is Jensen Brooksby. Come check out my travel essentials. A lot of the things here I've gathered are important for me when I'm traveling. First, this is the Whoop Watch. Um, really important for tracking sleep and calories and those type of things. Um, and then these here, I always love having these, these Beats headphones. I listen to music a lot, but before, before matches, I, I kind of, or on training days, I'll usually just have one AirPod in so I can hear if someone's talking to me. And, but I listen to music a lot, so this is important. And also, with the second item here, the speaker. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes you could have it at the pool or just in the room when you're doing stuff. I like listening to music quite a bit. And then, this is my Hypervolt. So, this is always comes in handy. It's a, it's a good form of recovery, especially when I'm out with a PT or, or anything. Okay, well first this is my protein, and then this is my bottle with a specific shaker. I always have this on the road here, um, usually a scoop to scoop and a half with water in the morning before going to the gym, before doing anything. And then this here, uh, it's not really the cover, but it's just, uh, just papers, paper with notes. It's helpful to write stuff out, at least to yourself. 
even if you don't say it to anyone, but whether it's tennis related or something like with food or it's just things I feel like I could work on better, things that are going well, just, you know, you always just want to see yourself on a path, path of growth, I think. All right, a couple more things. This is my, you know, regular phone. I think everyone travels with a phone, obviously. <laughs> but um, this is my, I have a tournament phone here. It helps me, I don't have Instagram or really go on Safari or anything on this phone. And I only have a few contacts. My coaches, you know, PT, I can be with. Finally here, I have this iPad uh, laptop mix here. Lately, I have been getting better with, uh, like I commit to like two, two full days before to start packing. So it's, it's, it's improved. As long as I, I feel like as long as I have my essentials, I'm good. Yeah, I try to, I try to hang up the nice clothes I have, you know, the non-tennis clothes. Like there's actually, there's a couple in there that are nice. I always like to bring a nice outfit with me. So if there's ever an occasion you, you know, go out to dinner or something that you're, you're prepared. Thank you for checking out my travel essentials. Let me know what your thoughts were. And I'm ready to get out there and compete this week. Another young player exciting the crowds is Sebastian Corda. He can call on both Andre Agassi and his father, former Australian Open champion Peter, for words of wisdom. But equally influential in the Americans' camp is his regular coach, Dean Goldfine. He told Anne-Marie Batson that one strength in particular is helping the youngster excel. You know, especially someone that tall that moves that well. And that's the key, you know, and that's what you're seeing more and more of now is, is guys like Sebi. Guys like, um, you know, Sasha, guys like Danielle, obviously Tsitsipas, you know, is another one that are that big, that move that well. And, and, and you know, you see that just happening now in, in tennis and really all athletics, you know, it's bigger, stronger, faster. And, um, you know, back years ago when, when, you know, I coached Todd Martin. So that was another big guy. And, um, you know, I worked with Todd for seven years, but Todd wasn't a great mover, but he was a very efficient mover, but, but, you know, he would never be categorized as, as fast. You know, the guy back then that, that maybe was more like that was say a gore, like a guy like Goran Ivanisevic, you know, that, that was a big guy, but moved very, very well. You know, that's becoming more and more prevalent out there. And, and listen, it's, you know, for me, it's, it's great, you know, to have someone that, that has the firepower, um, you know, obviously a you know, good serve. I mean, Sebi doesn't have a huge serve, but he's able to place it pretty well, you know, and then move like he does. And then also to come into the net, you know, pretty good wingspan. So able, able to cover a fair amount and, um, you know, and then also to just the leverage that he gets on his, on his shots, you know, and that's the thing you see, I mean, it's, you know, it's been said of him, you know, he has, he has easy power and he really does. And, and obviously, uh, part of that is the te his technique is very, very good, very efficient, but also, you know, a big part of that too is, is um, you know, the leverage that he gets into each shot because of his, his height. It's the total, total package, right? Where, where, you know, again, you know, not only can he play offense, right, but, but he moves so well, he plays really good defense too. And that's, you know, is, is there's a, the cliche, you know, in American football, and it's not just American football, I think it's really in all sports that defense wins championships. And, um, you know, and, and that's the thing, I don't care how good you are, you know, offensively, you, you have to be able to play defense at some point, right? Because you're not always going to be able to be on offense, especially, 
you know, in, in tennis where obviously guys have big serves. And so, you know, you look at, you know, a lot of it, you know, is, is, you know, serve plus one, obviously you hit a good serve, you get a ball somewhere in the middle of the court, guys are going to do something with it. So you have to be able to play defense. And, and obviously that's, you know, the great players, that's, that's what they do. I mean, you look at Rafa, you look at Roger, you know, you look at Novak. I mean, these guys obviously are amazing offensive players, but you know, what doesn't get talked about a lot is how good they are defensively, you know, and being able to go from defense to offense when you've been able to neutralize your opponent's good shots. And, and that's, you know, part of the process of learning too. What are the two or three things that a player needs to get into the top 10 of the ATP tool? Well, you, you need weapons, right? You, you have to have, you know, at least two weapons. Um, you have to be able to move well. You know, you have to, you have to be able to serve reasonably well. Now, that doesn't mean it has to be huge, right? But that means you have to be able to move it around. You have to be able to mix it up. You have to be smart about how you use your serve. Um, you know, that's a, that's a big thing as well. And then, you know, a big thing that, that, you know, is you have to, you have to be a good competitor. You have, you have to, you know, you have to be able to, when things are tough, you have to be able to go into lockdown mode and, and just compete your butt off and, and, you know, and find a way, you know, to get through a match, maybe on not your best day, you know, when you're not feeling great, you know, when you're not playing great and, um, because that's not going to happen every day, you know? So those are a couple of things that just, you know, come to the, you know, top of my mind, you know, to, to make it into the top 10. And you've worked with some fantastic competitors like Andy Roddick, for example. You talked about Todd Martin earlier. What lessons have you learned about yourself, Dean, as a coach over the years? And, and what have you taken from those lessons into your work with Sebi? Well, the big thing is, is just that I, I, you know, myself as a coach, I have to, you know, adjust my coaching style. You know, I, I, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, there's not just one mold and, and obviously, yes, I have my, my certain, uh, you know, things that I, I think are important. Um, my certain, I have, I have my coaching philosophy, but, you know, I have to be able to adjust depending on, on the person's game, their strengths, their weaknesses, and also the person's personality. It's a lot different now, you know, with, with a lot of these younger, you know, kids and, and, uh, you know, and social media and the phones and, and this and that. So, yeah, you know, that's, that, that's, I think the thing mostly that I've, that I've learned, the biggest lesson is, is just that I have to be willing, you know, it's, it's, there's not just that, that line that I'm going to draw in the sand, you know, and, and, and I've always been like this, that, that I've, I've, you know, been a give and take, you know, okay, you know, if you feel strongly about something, let's, let's see, you know, I think that's, that's probably the most important thing, you know, in a coaching coach player relationship, just like any relationship is, is communication and being able to give and take, you know, and, 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 you know, I, again, that's, that's just huge. And, and uh, you know, the fortunate thing is, is Sebi's a smart kid. He's a very um, respectful kid and uh, you know, and, and he's willing to talk about things and um, you know, and, and again, I mean, that's, that's essential in, 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 you know, in any relationship. 
There is somewhat of a collegiate feel on tour these days with 13 Americans inside the top 100, but singles tennis is still by nature an individual sport. So having a strong team around you to call on is essential. It's something Marcus Giron has worked on over the past couple of years, as he told Jill Krabis. Since COVID, I've been traveling with this guy, Maxime Tabatrong, and he was a teammate of mine at UCLA, and, and he's really working as a coach now. Like we, He played on tour, he got to like 360 in the world, and. I mean, we, we, we start as, you know, as friends, but it, we're, of course, great friends, but he's been working as a, as a kind of a coaching role. And the guy with me here, Evan Lee, he's also been, kind of works as a coach. And so we, we always are talking about the matches, the tennis, what can we improve? And so it's a good combo of having good feedback and, and they know me really well. They know my game really well. And, um, and we, we all get along. And I think it's important having a well-rounded you know, we spend a lot of time on the road, and so it's a lot of your life is on the road and yeah. making sure that everything is kind of, you know, you're in good spirits, and that goes a long way, to be honest. Well, you, you, may, have, you may have answered my next question because I, I read a quote that you said that um, having those two with you because they were such good friends of yours, yeah. it, it helped your overall well-being. Yeah. Like, yeah. how, how so, like, specifically? Well, well I, think, I think so. First, I, I, so I grew up from Southern California, and I went to college. And, and even, even in juniors before college, um, I, did, I, I played the Grand Slams, but it kind of was like I, I ended up winning multiple, like, ITFs in a row in Southern California, Carson, Easter Bowl, and then I kind of got the opportunity. So I went and played French Open in Wimbledon, um, and then I went to college. And then you spend a lot of time, you know, you, the season is not that long, and you play everything local. And so when I first left college, outside of the injuries, it was it was hard for me a life on the road because it was the first time that I'd really spent a lot of time on the road and a lot of time by yourself. And and so it got, you know it took a long time for me to get adjusted to that. And now I feel like I, you know life on the road for me is you know part you know I try to make each week you know it's not home because every time I go back home I have an amazing time out with my my you know all the yeah. my friends and whatnot. But I try to make it as fun as possible, and it's like you know as good of a life as I can have. Was that was that something that you had to change? I mean, obviously your friends helped you a lot, but something that in your mindset that you had to change as well to be able to embrace that lifestyle. Absolutely, I think it's it's kind of like a moving target, I, and it helps that part of it is I think a couple of years ago I started doing well, and so the next thing you know I'm, I am able to play the slams, and I am able to afford it, which helps a lot. And I think a lot of players on the lower ranks don't necessarily aren't able to do that, and so I think it's. It's a mix. It's a it's a mix of I, I really had to reassess how how I was going about things. I was losing a lot of close matches actually a few years ago, and you know I in 2018 I had lost the first six months. Every match I lost, I was up a set and a break, or up a break in oh, the third. Wow. And then I you know I went and played Cabo and I played against Del Potro, who was who was top five in the world and. I was serving for the first set, and it's all of a sudden like, well, you know, it's not really the tennis that's, you know, like, it, of course, you know, of course you can work on the tennis, but, like, am I really you losing were, because of the there. tennis, you know? So so I had to really, like, and then after that, I went and lost three qualifying of challengers, and I was just like, you know, you got to you gotta readjust, <laughs> you know, you got to, you yeah. know, you got to figure this out, because yeah. this is not just about the game, and so I, honestly, in that off season, I kind of spent a lot of time kind of looking inside, and, like, why was I really losing and you know and, and so I had to really change my mindset and now now I feel like I'm actually it's one of my strongest assets is my ability to play well under pressure and 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 it, it comes with everything you know how I go about the game how I go about pressure situations and and then I was you know there I was actually in 2019 I was working with with Peter Lucasen who was awesome um, but then he ended up going and um 
he ended up going back home, which you know I understand. And then after that, uh, it's just kind of it's kind of worked out that way. And so I think it's a mix of you know like it's a long-winded answer. Um, no, 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 I love it. Yeah, <laughs> no, something that I think what stood out to me. I mean, it was it was a great answer. But what stood out to me, I think, what I kind of want to dig a little bit <laughs> is um, you know you you were losing those matches and you knew it was about tennis, so you knew you had to dig deep. Yeah, yeah. And I want to know what it is that you discovered because now you're winning those tight matches, like. Yeah, yeah. I know it doesn't happen overnight, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like, is there something that really that you discovered that was like, wow, okay, um, this is the. Well, there's so many times, like, it happened so many times where I was up a set and a break, up a break in the third, uh, in the setting set, and and I kind of just like looked back and realizing I was just having this like huge, like you know, every time I'd go up a break and then I'd lose the first two points, it was just like you know, here we go again here we go again and I, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy really and then I'd also play a little bit more tentative and start to you know dwell on the past and rather than you know what's actually working what do I need to do better and I think it's a little bit of confidence also um, I think I'd been playing like after call you know I played in college and I, I did well in the juniors in college but then you go to pros and you're kind of playing the futures and the challengers and uh, you don't you know you're, you're not necessarily playing the top 10 good players in the world they're damn good but then you kind of have this like, oh, well, you can find reasons to not succeed, I guess you can say, you know, like, oh, maybe like, I'm losing these guys that are a little bit ranked lower, like, how am I going to make this and blah, blah, blah. And so it was a lot of like, why was I actually losing matches? And a big part of it was I was just I, I just kind of didn't have that belief in myself. And now I had to adjust that. I, uh, you win, And then you win matches and you win a lot of close matches. And the next thing you know, you're like, well, then you start believing more and more and more. And now every, when I'm in th- three setters, you know, I. I believe in myself. Yeah, and, you know, that's awesome. So. I can see it as you're yeah, talking. Yeah, I can <laughs> yeah. see it. Yeah. And then one last thing, just some <laughs> hobbies and some interests off court. That, off court. So yeah, we get yeah, to yeah, know sure, you sure, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. You know, well, I, I've been um, getting into actually mountain biking quite a bit oh, when I go cool. back home, which is a lot of fun. Um, lately, whenever I go back home, Is that actually, dangerous for tennis? Uh, probably, <laughs> but I, but I did it. I, I did that in skiing quite a bit when I was younger, and so so I did it since I was like four or five, and so I feel very uh, okay. comfortable. Hopefully, you know, I haven't been able to go to go skiing or anything yeah. uh, as of yeah. you know in the last several years, yeah. uh, just because that's probably a little too dangerous. Um, but then actually been doing a lot of spike ball at the beach with some friends, and that's been it's been so much fun. That is a blast. Spike um, ball is a blast. Other than that. Uh, Max and I, we've been playing a little bit chess lately. I'm not good at it, but, but it's it's fun. And anyway, Marcus, I appreciate your time, really. Thank you, thank you. Thanks to Jill Krabis for that chat. Jill will join me next week, and we'll look back on the events in Washington and the ATP 500 event in Los Cabos, Mexico. It's also taking place this week. We'll also look ahead to the ATP Masters 1000 events in Canada and Cincinnati. If Giron gets past Nick Kyrgios in the first round in Washington this week, he's set for an All-American clash with Tommy Paul. Paul's become a fixture this year in the top 50 with a number of quarterfinal and semifinal appearances following a great 2021, which included a first tour title in Stockholm. The 24-year-old's progression has been guided by the former coach of Kevin Anderson and Jim Courier, Brad Stein. He told Seb Lozier they're now at the next stage of their development plan. You know, we've been spending a lot of time working on transition, volleys coming forward. For me, it's it's seeing that all come to fruition and the execution that he has at that level when he's transitioning now and coming forward and volleying and those kind of things. So I think that he's uh, he's really bought into the idea that that's where his 
ultimate skill set lies for him to produce his best tennis against the best players in the world. For you, what's been the biggest sea change, kind of mentally almost, in terms of the way that Tommy's going about his business? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, when we started uh, 2019, just after the US Open, Tommy was pretty loosey-goosey in his preparation and, and everything else. At the same time, he was still already kind of transitioning, being more professional. I think I just pushed him in the right directions from that. But I, but I do think also that it was important for me to recognize that I didn't want to take the fun out of what Tommy was doing. I think he needs to really have fun and enjoy himself. And, and, um, and so that's a, an important aspect. That being said, as he's made progress through the rankings, he's just naturally become more focused and more concentrated on what he's doing. And he, and he, has, he has very high expectations for where he wants to be. And he recognizes that in order to achieve those expectations, he has to be a little bit more focused. He has to be a little more intense. He has to be more committed to what he's doing within practices. And he's done that, you know, somewhat naturally, somewhat with some cajoling and pushing from, from me from the back. But I think it's been kind of an organic process primarily, which is a good thing because I'm not dragging him in that direction. That's for sure. He's, he's pushing himself to go there also. And you've been in the game a long time, Brad. I'm sure you won't mind me saying. Um, <laughs> I have been. You can't you, deny that. <laughs> you coached Jim. Obviously, you were involved with USTA back in, well, the, the last real kind of glory era, golden era. Sure. How, how do you think, in general, these, these guys now, you mentioned, are, are shaping up? I mean, I think they're a little bit, obviously, a little bit more late bloomers right now than that generation. I was lucky enough to work with... Uh, Jim and Pete Sampras and Chang and Todd Martin and all those guys when they were in the juniors. You know, I was working with uh, our junior national team back in the 80s. That's how old I am. And, uh, and so you saw those guys and, and those guys, you know, th they all skipped college and they all at very early ages were producing unbelievable tennis. Um, these guys have taken a little bit longer to mature. The game maybe is a little bit, I think that's maybe a little bit of a natural process with the way the game is being played now. But I think Tommy, you know, talking about just my individual player, not just American tennis, but Tommy is still relatively young on the tour. You know, he, he, he's been in the consciousness of tennis for a while, but uh, he's really in like the middle of his sophomore year as a full-time guy on the tour because 2020 would have been his first full-time year on the tour and we didn't get a full year. So 2021 was really his first full year that he played tour-level tennis throughout the entirety of the year. Um, so I look at it kind of like looking at it that way, you know, he's, he's, a, he's kind of a sophomore right now in, in where he's at. And, and if you think about it from that standpoint, you know, you, you just continue to mature into your junior year, your senior year and what's going on. So I see Tommy's best tennis definitely being down the road more. I think that's the same for Taylor. I think it's the same for Riley. I think it's the same for Francis. And then you've got, you know, Mackenzie McDonald that's pushing through. You've got Jensen Brooksby, who, I mean, we all are scared of, you know, and, and, uh, and I think that he's, you know, who knows what he's going to be doing. What he did in the last year has been so exceptional. Um, and, and then you've got uh, Nakashima, who's also a very talented player. I mean, he had some phenomenal results last year. Mm. So, I mean, I think American tennis is in a really, really good place right now with that group. It's fascinating you talk about the, the ages of development. Is there a real schism then in your eyes as a leading coach between this side of the pond and what's happening in, in Europe where you've got guys like Holger Rune and Carlos Alcaraz physically just developing so quickly and obviously with their games as well. Yeah, I think that, you know, those guys are, those guys are probably, you know, as most guys that, have, that become great players and, and I, you know, 
everyone's looking at Alcaraz, especially as uh, you know he's pretty much destined to become a great player. Rune still got some work to do to get up to that level, but you look at those guys and they were both top, top, top juniors. So the ex expectation is a little bit different. And then you've got a different system. You know, when you come out of Europe, one of the things that can be good or can be bad in some ways is, is our collegiate system in the U.S. You know, it's an option that players have. And sometimes opting for that puts you a little bit later in your development so that, you know, you we're not having as many guys at 16 or 17 or 18 that are looking like those guys are. But at the same time, the end is to, is to have a good, successful, long career. And, and I think that all these guys that we're talking about, American guys, those younger European guys, I mean, they're the future of tennis. And, and for me right now, the future of tennis is pretty exciting. You know, like looking at those guys coming out and seeing what's going on right now amongst the guys. Great tennis being produced, differences in their games that's fun to watch. Um, so I, I think the state of the game is in really good hands with all these young guys. And as Brad just mentioned, Alcaraz there, it's congratulations once again to the young Spaniard. This week, climbed to a career-high four in the Pepperstone ATP rankings. He also reached the final in Umag, Croatia, where he lost out to Italian Yannick Sinner. Finally this week, we hear from a man who's been trying to keep up with all these young Americans on tour, and for the most part, he's been achieving it. At 40 years old, Nick Monroe is still one of the fittest guys on tour. He's partnered with both Francis Tiafo and Tommy Paul in doubles this season. As he told Chris Bowers, he feels both parties benefit from that mix of young and old. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. A, a lot of the Americans I've been playing with, from Francis and Tommy, are both both 24 years old, so 16 years. Uh, I'm 16 years older, but um, you know, it's funny because obviously ten, uh, singles is their main thing, and they obviously know doubles is my main thing. But when we get on the court and we're warming up for matches, they want to do some of the doubles drills. They're like Nick show us some doubles drills or, or let's put me on top of the net and feed balls hard at me like they want to because they know that playing doubles improves your singles um, and so we saw that last year with Francis we played a lot of doubles together it really improved his singles ranking and he would talk about it a lot how he felt more comfortable moving forward coming to the net serving and volleying so um, yeah it's just a lot of fun playing with with the younger generation uh, they have so much energy and I feel like I do as well I mean I feel like I've got a lot of energy and that's one of my strengths I might not have the biggest serve the biggest forehand but I bring a lot of energy on the court and I think the younger players they love the energy I bring as well and it just complements itself so out of Tommy Paul and Francis Tiafo, <laughs> who's going to have the biggest um haul of achievements at the end of their career yeah you're putting me on the spot there those are two of my two of my two of my good friends uh look I mean they're you know, again, they're both becoming more and more professional every single day. You know, um, Francis has Wayne Ferreira in his corner. Tommy Paul's got Brad Stein, who coached uh, Jim Currier, number one in the world, and a lot of other players to the top of the game. So they have the right um, people in their corner. Um, and I would say they're two of the most talented that we have at that age. You know, obviously Taylor Fritz is doing amazing things and super talented, but all these guys are just so good. And, and uh, it'll come down to just who continues to put in the work, who continues to believe. Um, and, uh, yeah, and just who stays focused on, on the process. You know, it's easy to, to kind of, you know, Francis talks about a lot how he had kind of, he had one year where he did really well at the Australian Open and then he didn't, like, do well the next few months. Just he got a little bit content. So I think now that the players are doing so well they need to continue to want to continue to do well as opposed to getting a little bit uh more content about what's what's going on so yeah just it's going to come down to who who continues to work hard they have the right people in their corner and uh i'm going to use a political answer
<laughs> well, that's fine. Obviously, the American tennis public got spoiled in the 90s by that amazing yep. generation yep. of Sampras, Agassi, Courier, yep. Chang, Martin. Yep. At least there's a group of young Americans coming through now, yep. mid-20s. Yep. To what extent do you think they need to have major success in order to give tennis a boost in America in what's a very, very crowded sporting marketplace? Well, I think they're doing it right now. I mean, as you said, Taylor Fritz, I mean, he, he's, you know, we got Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafo, Tommy Paul, Riley Opelka, Sebastian Corda, such young players all in that little group between uh, 12 in the world to about 36 in the world. I mean, there's so many top players that are young um, and they're all pushing each other. They're all great friends. And, and I think that, yeah, I mean, we get a Grand Slam champion, you know, like a Taylor Fritz. He plays Rafa Nadal uh, next year. He beat Rafa at Indian Wells. If we can get a Grand Slam champion in the next year or so, I mean, that would be huge for American tennis. And But that's also through my tournament with All-American Cup what I'm trying to help showcase is the American tennis and, and uh, that we've got such great individuals as far as their personality and their marketability and and um yeah it's a, it's a tough marketplace in the states but but uh these guys are coming up quick we're talking about communications do you think tennis communicates itself to the broader sporting world as well as it could um yes and no i mean i wish we had i mean obviously with, with tennis channel they're covering all of the tournaments uh the 250s the 500s the 1000s the slams um you know, and ESPN is covering some of it, some of it as well. And I just wish we could get maybe even more tennis on CBS or NBC or something in the states, um, just to continue to to push the sport. Right? I mean, you see golf is on all the time, or all you know, all the NFL games, NBA, which they should be. But I just wish we maybe had a couple more networks that would jump in there and and help uh, promote the game. Um, you know whether it's even if it's just one or two tournaments throughout the year so um but because i think we've got great personalities i mean we've got nick curios and francis tiafo on their on their instagram and on their stories that are really opening up opening themselves up for for the public to know who they are you know and and uh and they're such great personalities so i think the public really need to follow the next generation of tennis players and you can do that by following the u.s swing over the coming weeks my thanks to Nick Monroe, Brad Stein, Marcus Giron, Dean Goldfine, Jensen Brooksby, Joseph Gilbert, and Michael Russell. I'm Brian Clark. Thanks for listening to the ATP Podcast. Be sure to join us next weekend, and in the meantime, enjoy the tennis.